Um, as a Christian, sometimes I struggle with the concept that not all good people go to heaven. Um, baptized Christians who make Jesus Lord of their lives go to heaven. Amen. Um, so two Fridays ago, I was invited to go wake surfing with uh, one of my coworkers and his wife. So I went, and it was a blast. I had a ton of fun. Um, the couple who invited me on their boat were super nice. The wife brought snacks and food, and um, <laughs> as some of you know, food is the way to my heart. So, um, But it was a great time, and at the end of the night, I thought to myself, these people are giving me, giving me an example of how I should be as a Christian, how hospitable, how hospitable I should be as a Christian. And I thought, I thought, obviously I'm not God, so I can't judge, but I knew that they weren't profess professing to be Christians, and I thought, well, they're probably good enough to go to heaven anyways. Um, and I think, I think that thought about myself sometimes, like, I've done all these great things, so um, I should go to heaven, forgetting what Jesus has done for me. But obviously that's wrong. So I prayed and read and remembered that the only way to heaven and the only way to pay for our sins is through Jesus Christ and his blood, sacrifice, and resurrection. And that no human is good. Um, even Jesus mentioned that. So can we turn to Matthew 19, 16 through 17? Um, it says, this is NIV. Um, I'll wait till y'all get there. So it says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Um, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. And if you want, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Um, the King James Version says, there is none good but one. That is God. Um, can we also turn to John 14, 5 through 6? So that says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that, those two scriptures remind me that we aren't good people, me included. Um, no matter how you spend it, no matter how many good things we do, how, many, how much positive energy we give off, no matter how much money we give to those in need, we can't pay for our own sins. Um, there's only one person that is good, and that person is God, and there's only one way to God, the Father, and that is through Jesus. Which means everywhere we, every way that we are trying to be righteous, holy, and justify ourselves on our own will ultimately fail without Jesus. Something I have to remember all the time. Um, but thank God for sending Jesus to die for all of us sinners because we don't have the ability to pay for our sins on our own. Um, we aren't pure. We aren't sinless. So how could we even possibly pay for our sins? Um, and then my last scripture is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I know it's kind of long, so bear with me. Um, I'll wait till y'all get there. So it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, which is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we were all dead in our sins, and works weren't going to bring us back to life. But because of God's great love for us, mercy, and grace, we were made alive in Christ through his sacrifice. Today, while we take communion, I want to encourage us all to remember how Jesus paid the debt that we could not even possibly pay and thank him for that. And remember that as we live, we are to pick up our crosses daily and follow him. Um, let's pray. <clears throat> thank you, God, for all that you've done for us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the debt that we couldn't pay. And please help us to always remember that and um, remember that we died to ourselves when we made you Lord of our lives. Praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8. It says, Remember this, whosoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whosoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give that you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that, it, so that in all things at all, and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Um, I always think about this scripture, uh, forgiving, um, and sometimes I don't want to give, so <laughs> that's the truth. Um, I'm a pretty cheap person. Um, but then I think of how God has been generous to me and how he supplied all of my needs and even more and what Jesus has done for me. And sometimes my heart changes and I actually want to give. Um, but God wants us to be cheerful and not do it because we feel pressured to do so. So please check your hearts. And if you feel pressure, then don't do so. Um, but give generously. Um, so let's pray over the offering. Thank you, Father God, for um, supplying all of our needs, um, giving us everything that we need. Um, I know you said that you've uh, never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Um, I know that's true in my life. So um, thank you for this time to give back. And I pray that um, the funds are used for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Mr. Nathan Martin for the sermon. Thank you. Please welcome Nathan Martin for the sermon.
All right, good morning. So we are going to be continuing the gospel series. This is week three of the gospel series. JD's been going off, um, so no pressure to me. I barely feel on today, so we're going to see if I can go off. You got to be on to go off. Um, all right, so we are going to be in Genesis chapter 3 today. Um, basically, we're going to be looking at Adam and Eve's deception, and then how that translates to our own deception and the world's deception, and then we're going to look at God's solution or answer to that deception. Uh, but just to start off, uh, what is, does anyone know the deadliest animal in the world? Mosquito. Wow. Well, there we go. Good stuff. Stuff. It is the mosquito. Yeah, so here's a little chart. Yeah, the, the mosquito kills more humans than anyone else or than any other animal. Right? This is number of people killed by animals per year. So the mosquito kills the most. Then humans kill the second most humans on the planet. And then you see that uh, right next to it. You might not be able to see the number, but snakes kill 50,000 humans every single year. And then in fourth place is your uh, man's best friend, dogs. But yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting that snakes uh, kill 50,000 people. I thought it was like hippos. I thought hippos were the deadliest, but maybe it's all snakes combined, the whole army of them, the army, navy, and the air force of the snakes, they all um, join together to kill humans. <laughs> but uh, what makes a snake so so dangerous. You know, if we really think about that, yeah, they're sneaky. They're they're crafty. Hey, they're crafty. Snakes are crafty. The definition for crafty is clever at achieving one's aims by indirect or deceitful methods. So yeah, they can get into places where they shouldn't be. They can camouflage. They can look like a branch or they can look like a pile of leaves or something. Uh, they also, what makes them dangerous is they have venom. The uh, here's another picture. I saw this was a video I saw last week of a guy, a very smart guy holding a king cobra. Uh, I didn't know king cobras were that big. Uh, is pretty. That's very scary. And so that king cobra, if it were to bite him, he'd be dead in 15 minutes. That's how quick it takes a king cobra to kill you. If that king cobra were to <laughs> to bite Dumbo the elephant, if it were to bite an elephant, it would kill the elephant in a few hours. So that's how venomous. King cobras are a rattlesnake. If it bit you, you'd be dead in six hours. Very, very dangerous. Kind of overpowered, uh, in my opinion. And uh, and then even the snakes that don't have venom are like the boa constrictors. And so they just, everyone's seen that movie Anaconda? <laughs> yeah, I was watching clips of that this this week. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. So, but what's crazy, imagine if snakes had legs. Like that number 50,000 would be, it would be, if they could walk or if they could run after us, like, thank God, God took uh, the legs off. Um, but yeah, another thing, this, this scripture in Proverbs 30, it says, a lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. And that is so true, right? Like you could catch a lizard, but also have you ever been like in a hotel or something? If you're, especially in like South America or in a tropical area, 
you're in a hotel, nice hotel, and then you'll look and there'll be a lizard like on the 20th floor or something of a hotel. You're like, how did you get here? How in the world did you get here? But these are good things to know about serpents, right? Yes. We're going to be talking about a serpent today. So a serpent can get in to places where you wouldn't expect. Oh my goodness, how did I have that thought in the middle of church? Or how, how do I have such, how did they, you know, get in such a bad argument with people at church? Or why, you know, have you, you get it? Like, yeah. Satan can tempt us in the most unsuspecting places. He can get into places, he can get into our houses, our churches, our jobs. He gets in places where he should not be. So let's go to Genesis 3. Cool. So Genesis 3, just going to read through verse 8. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So first things first, this serpent comes in and he starts talking to our great, 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 great grandmama Eve. And he he twists what God said. He twists what God said. And when I looked at this, it kind of made me upset because I don't like when people do this to me. Um, he comes up and he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Which is a clear twisting, like it's a trick question that he's trying to get her with. Because when you, if we look in Genesis chapter, I don't have it written down. Uh, it's chapter two. Verse. I can't believe it. I don't have it written down. Okay. Well, it's in chapter two. Um, he says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So what God says is you are free to eat from any tree in the garden except for one. But Satan, he says, oh, man, are you really you really can't eat from any tree in the garden. And so that's one way that Satan deceives us is he'll make our freedom in, in God, our freedom as children of God look like bondage. It'll make it look like slavery. We actually have freedom of a lot of things, but he'll make it seem like, oh, we can't if we can't have that one thing, then we have nothing. Right. Come on. Another thing is he makes God to be a liar. In verse four, he says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, God said they will certainly die. So if Satan is saying you're not going to die, he's calling God a liar. Immediately, he's calling God a liar. I think this is amazing. Well, it's, it's amazing in a bad way that this Bible, this whole Bible, this is God's book. And right here on page two, God is called a liar. God's words are twisted. God has an enemy. God has a hater. God has a gossiper. God has a slanderer in his own book. 
And it reminds me of this scripture. Yeehaw. Okay, John 15, 18, it says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Right. And so when we are trying to live God's way, we are going to, if God in chapter three of the Bible has a hater, if God in chapter three has someone lying about him and making, trying to ruin his reputation, then so are we. We should expect that also. I think it's, we need to also be able to identify this narrative and this voice that, um, Satan is using, right? This whole, are you sure that God said that? Are you sure that God said that? God's not really going to do that. Because we can hear that voice in a lot of ways. It might not be a talking snake, but I think, so in the Bible, Satan enters different things, different mediums to try to deceive and tempt God's people, right? In this, he's a snake. Uh, Later on, it says he entered Judas, right? Uh, There's part he'll enter kings, he'll enter herds of pigs, right? He'll enter just different things to try to get God's people to slip. And so we need to be aware of that. If we're aware of that, then we can know, okay, what can Satan enter near me like a little lizard to get into my palace? And what is he going to try to talk to me about? What is he going to try to deceive me for? So we can hear... From maybe our best friends, our best friends, we can hear the same voice. Did God really say you can't? Oh, you can't come out with us? Really? You can't go out at all? You can't? And it'll make it sound like, oh man, I'm a Christian. I'm living in lack. Oh man, I, God doesn't want me to do anything. But that's Satan's deception. That's Satan. That's a satanic narrative. Here's another tragic thing: is in verse six. It says, is it here? I might be able to put it here. That's not there. Well, in verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So I never noticed this before, but it says, When the woman saw that the fruit was good, then she took and ate it. So I'm thinking, did Eve never even... Look at the tree like she was in such trust of God. She, she believed God that, that God was a good God and she was just dwelling in her freedom so much that she didn't even look. She didn't even look in the direction. She didn't even notice that it was uh, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. She didn't. She might not have even known what the fruit looked like, um, which is so sad that Satan can come in and just take our innocence like that. You know, I wasn't even thinking about this. I, I wasn't even I didn't even know about that way to do evil. And then Satan comes in like a little lizard and shows us how deceives us. Messes with us. I think this is no, that is too far ahead. How many of us wish that we never even heard about some sins, right? Or just some things. I wish I never met that one person. I wish I never went to that class or that school or that practice or that I wish I never ran into that person. Never I wish I never changed that channel that day. I wish I just went to sleep. How many of us wish we just never ran into that snake? You know? Uh, yeah, I, I also Adam the fact that Adam didn't do anything is also pretty sad. Um I have this line in a song, if Adam named a snake a snake, then why did he make that same mistake? He, he named the snake 
a snake. Why didn't he see it? Why didn't he see it coming? It's pretty upsetting. But, hey, man, he's, he's human. <laughs> so, yeah, we need to be aware of these voices. And these voices are all over the world. We don't have to look far to hear this voice that Satan is uh, just projecting throughout the world that Christianity, it's you're living in lag. God wants that God doesn't want you to be happy. God's really going to take fruit off your table. That's the whole narrative and it can deceive us. And I, one thing that's really sad is it can deceive us to think that our good father is not a good father. Right. I think all of us have that rebellious phase, right. in teenagership where we are deceived and think that our good father is not a good father. Because he doesn't let us do certain things. Oh, man, he shuts off my Wi-Fi. Oh, he takes my my video games from me. He's a bad father. That's actually a very good father. It's actually the best father. Yeah. For sure. Father, fathers like that? Yeah. yeah, I like barbecue fathers. So. Um, let's keep reading. So... I think we continue in verse eight. Okay, we continue in verse eight. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God from among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me, you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Isn't that how it is after you realize you've done something wrong? Yeah. Right? Oh man, he got me. He got me. Um, and it's never worth it. Right. They they bite this fruit. They think that this fruit is everything. Right. The devil made them think that this fruit, this one thing that they can't have is everything. And then they eat it and then they immediately get scared. They immediately get embarrassed. They immediately have to run and make some fig leaves and they're working and they're doing things that they never had to do before just because they they ate this fruit. It wasn't even it wasn't even worth it. It's never, ever worth it. They become the first. <laughs> They become the first animals to wear clothes, if we're just saying in kingdom animalia, right? They're the first animals to put on clothes. You never see like a dog thinking, oh, I need to put on some jeans today, right? And why, why do dogs never have to put on jeans? It's because they were never tempted. Why are they never tempted? Because they weren't worth tempting. Isn't that cool that you are worth, <laughs> you're so special, you're worth tempting. The devil wanted to tempt you. Right. They weren't they weren't made in God's image. Monkeys weren't made in God's image. God didn't breathe the breath of life into a monkey. Right. Monkey we were supposedly evolved from them. But in thousands of years, they haven't put on a single pair of jeans. So I don't think I don't think they're catching up to us anytime soon. But uh, they eat this fruit and they go from ruling to hiding. In Genesis 1, 26, okay, uh, it says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, 
over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. Um, so that's how it was supposed to be, right? We're made in his image and we rule over the entire earth. We talked about all these like these scary animals that can kill humans, but we we rule over them. Like we if we wanted to, humans could wipe out all those we could wipe out all those, you know, sharks, we could kill all the lions in the world. We could kill all the mosquitoes in the world. It might, you know, hurt us too, but we we literally rule the planet. And we go from this, you know, made made in God's image walking around naked and unashamed, naked and unafraid, and then Genesis verse 8, 3 verse 8, they heard God walking. And then he says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid, so I was because I was naked, so I hid. Right? We go from kings and just king warrior rulers of the earth to naked and afraid hiding in some bushes. We go from freedom to shame. We go from ruling to hiding. We also go from fellowship to fear. Right? God was walking in the cool of the day, like as he usually did, right? And we were used to walking in the garden in the cool of the day with God. And then all of a sudden we're afraid of we're afraid of God. And that's something that sin does. Have you ever known that you're in sin, known that you're not living right, and you try to avoid, right? Well, you avoid God. Or it's hard to pray, or it's hard to, you know, worship. It's hard to it's for sure hard to go to church and talk to those happy, clappy Christians, right? Um we, when we sin, we flee God and, and we separate ourselves. I uh, think about Judas when he betrayed Jesus, right? Jesus didn't really go anywhere, but Judas was the one who kind of separated himself and he ran away. Same thing with Peter. He denied him and he was like, oh, goodness, and he kind of ran away. The thing about Peter is he ran back. And we want to be people who run back. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. I think we can read this and think because I sin, God, God walks the other way. But it's really I sin, I walk the other way. Right. My sin separates me from God. And we see that in we see that in this chapter. Right. God was coming towards them the whole time. God was calling for them. God was looking for them. They were the ones in shame. They were the ones in sin. They were the ones separating themselves. Let's see. So, oh, this, this is another thing that happens with sin's deception, right? So they go from Adam and Eve, they go from being one, right? He goes from saying, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman. She was taken out of man. He's just, oh, yeah, let's go. He goes from that sense of oneness with her to pointing fingers. And when God asks him what happened, he says, oh, it's the woman that you put here with me. Right. And that's something that (laughs) that's something that Satan can do. Satan can deceive us and then separate us from that oneness that God wanted for us. All right. Uh, You don't you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be in charge of the U.S. census or anything to know that marriage is under attack from Satan. Right. I remember even when I was in middle school, I remember my teacher just for fun. She said, raise your hand if your parents are still together and only half the class raised their hand. 
that was when I was in middle school, which these teenage kids make me feel like it was a decade. It was a decade ago. It was a decade ago. And I'm dealing with that. I know I'm really young. I know I'm really young, but it makes me feel old. But yeah, it's just we're at odds. Satan wants men and women to be at odds. Satan wants men and women to not be one in marriage, outside of marriage, in the kingdom, outside the kingdom. Satan wants us to be separate. And that's so prevalent in today's society. Uh, but ironically, in the curse part of the scripture is where we find the most hope, which is kind of cool. So let's read the curse. It's in verse 14. So the, the Lord said to the serpent, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed. Uh, OK, I read that sentence wrong. Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So this is something else I noticed. We always, or I always think about this as when God cursed humanity. God cursed, I'm cursed, right? And this is my, this is the scripture that curses me. But when you look really closely, he doesn't curse Adam or Eve. Look at who he curses. It says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. Right? So the serpent gets cursed. And then in verse 17, it says, cursed is the ground because of you. So the serpent is cursed and the ground is cursed. But man and woman, they're not cursed. They get consequences. That's a big difference, right? There's a big, big difference between being cursed and just having consequences for your sin. A curse. Here, here's what happens if you're cursed. So we, this, the serpent, the devil is cursed, right? So Revelation 20 verse 10 talks about what happens when you're cursed, right? And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's a curse. That's a curse. Uh, people love having children. People have children for fun, right? No one goes and jumps in a lake. A lake. No one jumps in a lake of fire for fun, right? Men, guys, we love, some guys love working outside in the fields. Some guys love having sweat of their brow and dealing with the thorns and thistles. No guy would jump in a, a pool of lava, of la a lake of fire on purpose, right? We can cope with the consequences. We can cope with the trouble and the sorrow. We can live with that, but that's something you can't live through. Also, the, the earth is cursed. 
And Revelation 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the earth, like, just going away? Somehow that's going to happen. I have no idea how that's going to happen. I'm, I'm amazed when a river dries up. It says there's no longer going to be any sea. That is a curse. What we got is a consequence. And that is so much grace on God's part. Also, it, immediately when Eve tells him, yeah, the serpent deceives me, he doesn't say, oh, you bad human. He says, oh, you bad serpent. Right? He curses the serpent. And that, that tells me that God is more angry at the serpent than he is at me. Right? He can probably get disappointed in me for you know, being deceived and letting myself in that situation. But God is more angry at the serpent than he is at me. But now we get to literally the whole purpose of this lesson, right? And this is where the gospel appears in Genesis for arguably the first time, probably not. But we get this verse, verse 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So this is the first Messianic prophecy in the Bible. It's the first time that we get a hint that there's going to be a Messiah. The first time we get a hint that there's going to be a Savior. Um, and that comes from the offspring or the seed of the woman. This picture it has the KJV version, so I'm, I'm sorry. But um, So the offspring or the seed of the woman, it can be interpreted as plural or it can be interpreted as singular. right? So Eve's offspring can be redeemed humanity plural, right? Or it can be Jesus Christ, singular. Also, a side note, this is kind of cool. This made my wife go, oh, last night. Uh, so this could also be a prophecy of a virgin birth as well, because it says it's her seed. It doesn't say it's Adam's seed. It says it's her seed, meaning it's seed of the woman, not the man. And Mary, yeah, Mary didn't need no man. She was the first woman who didn't need no man. Um, anyways, so offspring. So we got offspring of the woman. It's redeemed humanity. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Messiah. It's the Savior to come. Then we got the offspring of the serpent, though. Right. And these two are going to be at odds. The offspring of the serpent. Well, the devil doesn't have any kids, but he does have peers. Right. So we have the other fallen angels. And then we have this peculiar scripture in John. Nope, not that scripture. John chapter 8, verse 44. It says, this is Jesus speaking to, uh, I believe, the Pharisees who were opposing him. He said, you guys, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue language for he is a liar and the father of lies so jesus calls these people children of the devil right so people who oppose jesus people who oppose jesus as the son of god as the messiah they can be called children of the devil kind of harsh jesus said it i didn't say it jesus said it children of the devil and so obviously these two parties have been at odds for all time, right? Enmity between her seed and your seed, been at odds 
non-Christians, Christians, Jews, Gentiles, Jesus versus Satan, Jesus followers and Satan, and then Jesus and Satan's followers, always at odds, always been fighting. But God promises the serpent that someone down the line is going to crush your head. The thing about when you crush a serpent's head, I wish I could put, I wish I could put some nasty, you know, snake killing video up there. But when you crush a serpent's head, you kill it. It's a lethal blow. The, the serpent is done. It's dead. It's gone. But a human can survive after a heel strike. So God is prophesying that, hey, Satan, you will be completely done away with, as we saw in Revelations 20. But also, when Jesus came here, I think it's kind of like a double stomp. This isn't, this is just me. But when Jesus came here and when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he took away Satan's venom, right? He took away the sting that Satan had, right? The only, the only thing that's really scary about dying is the fact that I don't know where I'm going after I'm dying, right? You, you think about when you're on an airplane and it hits turbulence or you're on a, someone's driving and they swerve a little bit and your life flashes before your eyes. And what do you think? What do you think? You think, oh, am I a good person? Am I right with God right now? That's the, that's the sting of death, right? It says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, right? And so Satan knew that if he could get us to sin, then he could get us to die. He knew if he could get Adam and Eve to sin, he could get them to be separated from God forever. And that's what he really wants. And so that's why Jesus had to come and solve that problem. So this is this is a solution to what this serpent who's snuck up in the garden and messed up. This is a solution, right? Oh, death, where is your sting? Where, oh, death, is your sting? Oh, wait, where, oh, death, is your victory? Where, oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 17, sweet, says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So death was Satan's secret weapon. And Jesus, what he did when he came to the cross and he died and he rose again, he defeated death, right? Death, you can't, you can't kill Christ, so now you can't kill Christ's followers, basically, right? He is the firstborn from among the dead. When I read that, I think, okay, he's like the big brother who swam across the river the first time and is on the other side of the river. We just, ran, we just sang Jordan River. He's on the other side of the river saying, hey... I made a way across the river. You can get across this river too. You just have to follow me. He's the only way to get across that river. And he's taken away the sting of death. Uh, let's continue. Okay, so this is the last part. I didn't talk about the bruised heel. The bruised heel was, so a snake, you think about the POV of a snake, POV of a snake, right? All you're going to see is heels. All you can reach is a person's foot, right? And so God is so God is so great that the only time that Satan could really bruise God or do anything to God was when Jesus came down in human form and he was at his very, very lowest. That was the only time that Satan could ever knock a blow 
into Jesus Christ. And that blow was him having to take our sins. That blow was him dying on the cross. That blow was him being betrayed, being beaten, being denied. That blow, that was his blow, right? That was him. He had to go through a little bit of pain. And that was the only thing that Satan could do. But then that only lasted for three days. Right. So that's the bruised heel. We know that Satan gets uh, smashed in head. And then afterwards, okay, let's just look at verse 21. Come on. Awesome. I hope I'm not confusing y'all. All right. So we get this prophecy, right? It says, he will crush your head, you will strike his heel. That's the prophecy of the Messiah. And then we get these consequences for our sins, right? We get the childbearing, we get the painful toil, and then it's over. Adam names his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Verse 21, it says, Then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam, his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, well, I'm just going to read verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So this is another gospel scripture in Genesis 3, right? And it's kind of sneaky. It's sneaky in a good way. So in order to make a garment of skin, you have to kill an animal, right? An animal has to be sacrificed. Blood has to be shed. And so in the same way that the Lord God covered their nakedness, he covered their shame by sacrificing an animal, Jesus came to be that sacrifice for us, right? His blood was shed so that we can be covered, so that our sin can be covered in the same way. Uh, fig leaves or animal skin, what would you rather have, right? Come on. When we try to make up for our shame, when we, when we try to make up for our guilt and our sin, we end up further away from God. We end up hiding. We end up afraid. We end up isolated. But when we let God cover our sin and when we let God cover our shame, it brings us closer to God, right? But that's kind of a scary thing to go to God in your nakedness, to go to God in your shame. But that's the most powerful thing that you can do in your shame is bring your nakedness to him. We need to let God handle our shame and our brokenness. And after that, we become closer to him. So what does this look like? First off, this looks like believing in Jesus as your saving sacrifice, right? Believing that he's the son of God who came and died for your sins and rose up from the grave, defeating Satan. And this whole believing in Jesus is not a thing that you did in the past. Believing in Jesus and believing in the gospel and meditating on the gospel should be something we do every single day. Right. It's not just the beginner stage one. That is in every single day. That's stage one of your day. Right. Believing the gospel, thinking about the gospel, thanking God for the gospel. Thank you, God, for saving me every single day of my life. And that'll change the way you live every single day of your life. It'll make you want to be a disciple. Right. Not just a back of the head acknowledgement, but a dedicated life of following Jesus Christ. And when we follow Jesus Christ, It'll keep us safe from the serpent, right? You'll have the power to overcome the serpent. You'll have fellowship with God the way that they did in Eden. You'll have peace that non-believers don't have. You'll have character that non-believers don't have. Jesus didn't come back down and do the impossible just so that you can say, oh, sure, thanks, and hang out, you know? He told us to be disciples, and he told us to make disciples. 
So in conclusion, man, we created a problem when we disobeyed in Genesis 3. Right? God created a solution with his son. And everything that we see from now on in the Bible is God not giving up on humanity and trying to bring the world back to Genesis 1. Right? So because this world is fallen, we need to look to Jesus as the answer to sin and evil. Give him your shame. Give him your nakedness. Give him your sin. And let him cover you. So, amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. It is always amazing, incredibly convicting, and silencing when I hear Nathan talk. And I want to just not speak for Nathan, but just forgot. Thank you for letting the Holy Spirit use you with those words. You know, it's just, it's, no, that was so revolutionary. It was like, God loves us. He's not angry necessarily at us. He's angry at the sin that is within us. He wants us to be better. He wants that for us, but he knows there has to be a sacrifice. There has to be so much, so much. Amen. Before I get started on my tangents, y'all know who I am. Um, we're going to stand up. We're going to stand up. Because, because of one day, 